Hello and welcome to the White Shorts podcast. I'm Bella Cartman and I'll be your host for the series. Now, this podcast came about from conversations I've had with players, coaches and fans of women's football and women's sport. There is so much being discussed on a daily basis about challenges faced by female players, the improvements we would like to see in the game and how there are these amazing women quietly working away to improve our clubs and associations for the women of tomorrow. With the recent explosion in women's sports, I sought out a platform where I could learn more about these incredible women and what they're doing for women's football in New Zealand. What I found should have come as no surprise, but this platform did not exist. So, the White Shorts podcast was born. This podcast aims to bring to light the work being done by these incredible women, along with highlighting some of the adversities they have faced by being involved in the game. Each week, I'll be joined by a player, coach or manager from around New Zealand for a fireside chat. We'll talk about their motivations, their journeys and crucially, what they've learned along the way. So come join us and we hope these discussions inspire ones of your own. Morning all and welcome to the fourth episode of the White Shorts podcast. Today we are joined by Wellington Phoenix Academy coach, Katie Barrett. Welcome on the podcast, mate. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super <laughs> excited to be involved. Oh, no, it's super exciting to have you on board because, honestly, you're an absolute trailblazer and definitely one of the people I had in mind when I first started this podcast. So, yeah, appreciate you coming on board. Um, first off, as always, fourth episode now, listeners will know, what is your first memory of football? Um, so funny. So I was thinking about this listening to some of the other episodes and it got me thinking like, wow, that's so interesting that that's my first memory. There are kind of two that come to mind. The first one is I grew up, like my first bit of football was when I was growing up in America. So I was playing, maybe I was four years old. So how I remember it, I have no idea, but I remember I must have been on the dribble at training and I practiced really hard at getting my eyes up going back to the ball, getting my eyes up, going back to the ball. And the coach stopped the session and was like, Katie, that was amazing. Did everyone see what she just did? And I thought, I've hacked it. I'm I'm the best footballer there is. And then the other one is like, I just always remember going down. It was like the rec centre in America, club soccer. We had all the same uniform but different colours. And I got the hot pink. And my team was called the Mosquitoes. And I thought... This is this is the business, and then my mum and my brother at the time were going zzz, like making fun of me being in the mosquitoes, and then I was like, oh, I hate football. So this kind of too, yeah. um, but definitely like looking at it now, being involved in coaching, that my first memory is an interaction, yeah. a positive interaction with my coach is like quite interesting to yeah. think about, and like yeah, so I just always think about that, and yeah. do I have those moments for other? Yeah, and I mean, we're going to touch on that (laughs) because, yeah, your coaching story is pretty incredible and, like, the values you bring to it. Um, Mosquitoes, what a name (laughs) for a football team. (laughs) I know, right? The the Mosquitoes, and now it's so funny because, like, uh, Michaela Robertson, who's playing for the Wellington Phoenix now, we grew up playing together, and now people call her Robbie Mozzie, and I'm like, the Mozzies, like, this is (laughs) just a thing that's meant to be. Um, And then following that, my team was called the Spurs, and so I became a... Tottenham fan. Oh, I'm no. not. A, I'm not a good one. I don't really That's get good. into it and uh, too much. I would say, <laughs> but yeah, those are. Don't know which one's worse. Definitely the Spurs. Yeah. <laughs> Tottenham Hotspur. No, absolutely not. None of that on this podcast. Um, well, I mean, yeah, you mentioned you started playing footy in America, which is quite different to the mm. past three um, yeah. women that have been on here. So let's get the listeners getting to know you a bit. What's your What's your kind of career so far in footy? Yeah. Cool. Well, I started playing just like a normal, this was my spring sport, it was called in America, and then I played softball as well, both of which were the like standard American child sports. Yeah. You play this position because this is how you win games, and I did both of them, so softball and football. Uh, Football was like a little bit further out of town for me. I grew up in a really small town, so... All of my schoolmates played softball, like that was the biggest sport. So I just naturally got more into that. And at nine, 
you know, because this is America, you've got to pick your specialist sport <laughs> and stick to it and you're going to play yeah. travel softball. So oh I was like, okay, so I quit football and like no regrets then. Like I yeah. loved softball. I was like, this is so cool. I wanted to go to Tennessee and play softball in college. And I was like, yep, that's yeah. me. And the only reason was because I liked orange. So I was like, I'm going to be a softballer. And I was a catcher and looking back on that now, like probably why I have t horrific knees, but I was a catcher, Yeah. Um, played played there, um, did some travel stuff. And then when I was 11, um, I moved to New Zealand to live with my dad. Um, and he tried to get me signed up for Western Suburbs Football Club. Oh, yeah. Uh, we lived out that way. So I went down. I made the boys mixed or the mixed um, top team. There was only two. So, like, I, it wasn't a big deal. Like, yeah. It wasn't that good. Um, made that team really, like, Super important for me to make friends moving to a new country. Yeah. Played softball, didn't fancy it anymore because my dad played football and I was like, yeah, I want to do football. And looking back on it, softball would have never been my sport. Like it was always football. Yeah. But played at Western Suburbs for a while and then like as I got to 13, 14, realised there wasn't really a pathway in mixed football mm. for girls. Um, so I moved into women's football at uh, – 13, kind of by accident, I played obviously for Western Suburbs and the coach for the Lower Hut Mixed team coached the National Women's League squad. So we'd play against each other in like yeah. the mixed club league and he must have liked what I had to do and <laughs> asked me to go to a National Women's League trial. And so I went to that. I had not played on a full-size field before. So oh, wow. I played, played this 11 v 11 trial. Yeah. Like, oh ignorance is bliss. I just went about life. And yeah. at that time, it was a National Youth League, so they had to have a certain amount of players under 20. So I was quite lucky, I yeah. used to say. And I think most players on their pathway, it comes to luck a lot yeah. of the time. But I got an opportunity to be with that team. I played in the National Women's League and made a debut in that year. And then I was like kind of that kid that was going on what was then the really normal pathway of National yeah. Women's League and then NTCs. And I thought... I'm going to be a footballer and that's what I want to do. I didn't know what that looked like as I don't think anyone did at that point of time. Mm. Um, continue to play was kind of in like high performance setup, but I never really like had what it took. I was just the social butterfly and looking at me now, like I, I would have found me annoying. Like, so I was definitely annoying. Um, and then I hurt my knee pretty gnarly and like, I'd say never fully came back from that to the level of a high-performance player, but I stuck it out with National Women's League, and everyone will know, like, I'm a diehard capital football. Like, yeah. I played 10 years in the National Women's League, oh, wow. and I I loved I loved playing for capital. Yeah. And I might have been – I've been to a few different clubs along the way, but capital was always m my home. Um, so I did that. I probably played one year too many for my body, Um and in my last year of playing, or kind of while that was all happening, I was doing FTC coaching because that's what mm. was expected of players mm. playing yeah. at that level, I guess. Always found it interesting, started dipping my toe into club coaching, but I was always studying to be a teacher. And I've felt like I knew since I was five, I want to be a primary school teacher. So I was like stuck on that. And then I got a job at Capital Football when I was 22, I think. Um, so... Started working there, but again, they were really lenient with my study. I was mm. doing my last year of teaching, working in sport, and then I'll go be a teacher. And it was really tough trying to do both. And I just started falling in love with working in sport. And it was actually my teaching placement where I thought, I don't want to do the same thing every day. I love kids and I could be really good at this, but I just want to see what I can do in sport. So went full-time in capital football and quit, <laughs> quit my grad dip, which I'm pretty sure my parents still think I'm a qualified teacher. I never yeah. know, but <laughs> I'm definitely not. But I have a BA and I will become a qualified teacher one day, maybe, maybe. when it's the right thing for me yeah. and my family. And But, um, yes, yeah, so I worked full-time at capital football. I took a break from coaching, even though I did love it and I did the national age groups, that sort of stuff. But I took a break just so I could really settle into that role and I needed some stability in my life at the time. And then I worked there in my second year, I got an opportunity to coach a team at the Phoenix and slowly did that and just started 
stay true to myself and then more and more roles came up and now I'm full-time at the Phoenix and in charge of what I wish there was for players like me growing mm. up in Wellington. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty crazy, but I don't play anymore. I stopped playing and I'm just fully involved in coaching and, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, for the listeners, like you've you've played it down a bit, but your kind of career is pretty impressive. Like getting into that capital football team so early on, and playing for ten years. Like, there's not many people who can say mm. that they've done that. And then you know you've mentioned like opportunities keep coming up. It's because you're so good. And like I think the listeners like Katie. Katie knows her shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's definitely like I know that as women we do tend to play that down or yeah. think, oh, I'm just lucky to get this opportunity. And I, I do make sure that I talk to myself and know that I, like my, the way I live by my values and the way I work help me get those opportunities as mm. well. So it's definitely like a balance work but um, or a balance in terms of not getting that imposter syndrome mm. of your roles but also knowing that uh, you're fortunate and yeah. the way I interact with people get me in the door yeah. you know oh yeah and then my work can do the talking later <laughs> <laughs> um well yeah and you as you say you're coaching the phoenix development what your, what's your official what's your official role title yeah well so <laughs> i started off i guess the easiest thing is like to kind of explain the growth of the female academy yeah absolutely so like we um when I was in the conversation, I wanted to go on my B license um, for yep. coaching, and that was really important to me to do. And just because I wanted to learn more in coaching, mm. and I wanted to network with new people, it wasn't to get a qualification to coach at a certain level. It was just I wanted to give that a crack. Mm. And my work with again capital football were amazing to me and helping me financially be part of that. So. I did my big license and as part of that you really do need to be working with a team mm. uh, week in, week out. So I um, got in touch with the Phoenix because I know um, Paul who's our academy director quite well and I said, do you have any teams for me to coach? And at that point it was like an under 15 boys team and I was like, cool, like I'll do that, that's awesome. Um, and was honestly so set to be involved and then Capital Football and the Phoenix made a partnership for the talented girls in Wellington Here's a place where you can play in an all-girls environment mm. under a professional club umbrella with good resources. Um, and it's a, yeah, it's a partnership, but this will be one team yeah. under the academy umbrella. This was before the A-League team was announced. It was just kind of this group of, I think we had 12 girls to begin with, and we played oh, in the wow. boys league. Okay. So it's yeah. like, it's so cool, because then that team slowly grew as more people found out about it, or we found other players. Yeah. and. That group began to grow and then the A-League got announced and that was like, that grew the program massively in terms of like, we've got girls from all over the place trying to contact and see how they can get into the academy. Then the following year that team stayed, but we had 16 now in that team. And we also had some of the talented females that just felt like they needed an extra dose of challenging football. Yep. Started coming into the boys space. So the likes of Michaela, well Michaela was here before that, but Michaela Robertson. Emma Main, um, Nina Kondo were leaving their environments just to get more contacts a week yeah. with boys. So we had this women's development group, we called mm. it, which was essentially a group of really good female players training with boys, yeah. and we try to get them some midweek games. And then this year, we've just gone full whammy with the A-League next door. We've got a reserves team, which is important to feed that team. So that's an under-20s team, an under-17s, and an under-15s. So that obviously required a full-time staff member. Yep. So I am, I think my role is called the female academy lead. Right. So I kind of lead up those three teams underneath the A-League. I do also coach um, the under-15, so that's the first girls that come into the academy, making sure yeah. they're welcomed and yeah involved and embraced into the academy. But I also am across all the teams. So on a weekend, I'm at every game. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's a, but I think I told you this before, I, it's 20% coach, 80% soccer mum. And that's really what I am in this role a yeah. little bit. And no, I, I love I absolutely it. love that explanation. <laughs> I think that perfectly kind of depicts it for, yeah. for the listeners. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we, we had a quick chat before we, before we jumped on this podcast, but you were talking about how like a big focus of the academy and you yourself is this thing that you could change the game mm. and how you're kind of encouraging these players 
to change the game. Mm. Do you want to describe what that is and kind of what that ultimate goal is? Yeah. Well, it's something we talked about at the start of the year when me and a couple of staff were brainstorming around the female academy and what we want it to mean. And I think everyone knows, and like this is a disclaimer that I'm not trying to sound arrogant or like I know all the answers or I think what we're currently doing is bad, but I just think we all know the women's game is is changing fast yeah. and we have to keep up. Mm-hmm. And I think if we don't change what we currently do, we won't keep up. Mm-hmm. And I think we maybe saw it with the All Whites, for example. Like we've got to grow fast. Yeah. <laughs> and I think my, I want to also change the way people perceive women's football because at the moment it flips and it flops. We do something good and everyone's like, oh, I love women's football. I want to be part of that. And then we lose a game and then they're like, oh, I don't want a bar of that. So our goal is that we change not necessarily the game and how people play, but we change the way people perceive women's football. So when our players go on to their next step, whether that's a trial in Europe or it's a New Zealand under-17 camp, they think, oh my gosh, these girls can play. Or when we play, the whole team plays against boys. I had a guy that I know that doesn't like women's football and he's pretty vocal about it. Come and watch our under-15s play and bless their souls, they're the most incredible group of footballers, as is, I think, all three groups, because I'm a soccer mum, so I think they're all the bee's knees. But um, he came and watched because he was watching the boys that the girls were playing, and he instantly, after that game, was like, oh, my gosh, these girls are so good. And he even said, I swear, swear to God, he said, it used to be a bad thing to play like a girl, but it's actually not that bad of a thing. And that was my story to the girls of, like, that's changing the game. Like, if he can... one of like the, one of the people that doubts women's football so much can go after seeing you guys be tough, be brave, yeah. pass the ball around, not cry when you get pushed over. All of these things that like really matter to people that make big decisions. Yeah. If you can change their perception, like you're changing the game, and it might not benefit you straight away, but it will because we'll get more resources. Yeah. You'll be a better footballer. You'll have more opportunities and people will take you seriously yeah. when you ask for more. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And picking up on, you know, what you just said, those people that make the big decisions. Mm. Unfortunately, in football and, like, not necessarily in New Zealand football, but football all over the world, like, people who make the big decisions are still, most of the time, men who are very much yep. in that traditional mindset of oh, women's football over there in the corner. We'll just, you know, yep. let them do what they do and carry on with our own stuff. Um, and so it's a shame that there's still like that mentality towards women's football because as you say it's changing so quickly Mm. and as Tessa said on the last podcast like we've pretty much got a clean slate to do whatever we want moving forward like there is no end goal goal that we're trying to reach or anyone's trying to reach because no one knows what it is yet Mm. Um, and I think yeah you you talking about changing the game and something that you mentioned was being brave and Mm. like really taking like I don't know if you use the word aggressive, but like that's kind of how I read it. Like being aggressive yeah. on the pitch, I think people always assume that women's football is quite like dainty and mm. um, you know we we don't take the hard hits. But I mean, you listen to Jess's podcast, like we do take the hard hits <laughs> more than the men, and it very much is becoming like these younger women are coming up through, and it's amazing to see you guys kind of encouraging that like braveness and aggressiveness because yeah. I think it's just makes the game so much more exciting to watch. And also it just shows, like, the passion of the girls on the pitch. Yeah. Um, And I know you mentioned, like, it almost feels like they're not allowed to show that or you're trying to change that perception of... Yeah. So I think we summed it up, like, when we talked and the players brainstormed this kind of from a little bit from top down, but we, like, made it different depending on the age group. But a big thing was that they were going to be... when we described what our teams and what our players came across as, as they would be like bigger, faster, stronger, better than ever before. And I think that admits that we don't know what that looks like. I I don't know. And the game, again, the game changes so fast, so we've got to keep up. But I feel like we're slowly achieving that. Like people are coming down to the games and saying, well, I've never seen girls play like that before. But we also want to be tough to beat. And I think that's where coming playing with the boys has been so good for them because like they don't have time to not be tough like Mm. 
they've got to constantly prove to those boys why they are not what the boys already think they are. Yeah. Like, they think you're going to cry when they push you over, so you yeah. can't. You've just got to get up and you've got to show them, nah, I'm Carry not. Carry on, yeah. yeah. Or almost even, like, push first. Yeah. And, like, make that statement. And of- they definitely, like, I know they get that reputation and what we're trying to help them with is, like, what you're doing is not wrong. Yeah. And you might go to some players and they might not like what you have to do. Yeah. But if you want to be... Like, if a guy with a lot of money came down, mm. you'd want to show them that, nah, we're here to be taken seriously. And we had, a, you know, a girl got, she was, some of the tackles she was doing were were definitely pushing the envelope and we had to, like, <laughs> keep her calm. But, like, yeah. she's going out against the boys and the boys are going out against her and it was all really, like, she's a tough kid and she's a little bit rough, but yeah. she was... It was awesome. We were loving it, and it was all within the rules of the game. The boy nutmegs her later on in the game, and he yells at her to sit down. And she got a little bit upset, but I talked to her after. I said, "He'd do that to a boy." Yeah. And like, we can't ask. We can't ask to be treated special. Yeah. If we're gonna do this, so like, it's a compliment. Like we move exactly. on, and like that's awesome. Now go nutmeg him and tell yeah. him to sit yeah, down, yeah, and yeah, he'll yeah. love it too, and we'll all get better from it. And it's like. It's just it's just football and like it's shit talking. It's you know yeah. And so I think it's like it's it's good or like we have a rule that's always appeal, never argue with the ref. So like every ball is your ball, but then yeah. when they tell you it's not, get on with it and you move on. So like that can sometimes be distasteful moving into other levels. So mm. they play against boys all year. Our under twenties play against seventeen boys and they get pushed around. They're rough, mm. but they love it and they talk to the. They talk back to each other, whatever. And then when they go back into women, sometimes it can come across like, what the heck are these girls doing? Like, yeah. they're dickheads, you know? <laughs> but I think it's like if we want, if we all say we want to change the game, which I think yeah. we do, we have to allow this to happen because Katie McCabe isn't going to, no. like, not talk shit for Arsenal. Oh, you know? absolutely not. So it's like, but we can watch those videos and say we love it. Um, so it's it's an interesting one. And I don't, I think there's a big female part in that and then there's a big Kiwi part and we just need to slowly get comfortable with change because we all want women's football to be taken seriously. Mm. So when we take it seriously, we have to accept that. And it's yeah. going to be uncomfortable, don't get me wrong, but like at the top level, that's what it is. And if we don't have them do it from a grassroots local level, I think then it gets really hard for them to just turn it mm. on when they yeah, become yeah. pros. For sure. No, 100%. Well, and yeah, talking about um, the Kiwi mentality and like mm. female mentality, obviously like you've kind of come up through the ranks and you're in this pretty big position now and, you know, you're a young female coach and like the past two women on the podcast, like we've talked about how much of a struggle mm. that can be and in the B licence, C licence environments, but also just, like, in general. Yeah. Do you want to talk us through, like, any challenges you've faced, but then also possibly, like, I mean, we talked about it before we jumped on here, but there's also, like, sometimes a sense of tokenism mm. that comes with being the only female in the room. Yeah. Um, like, sometimes you do almost feel like a bit of a checkbox mm. to make sure they're kind of meeting the standards. Yeah. I was lucky enough to, like, uh, talk about some of those like concepts while I was studying at uni and normally it was talked about like culturally um, the idea of tokenism um, and I've definitely got opportunities because of that mm. but I also have like maybe assumed that that's the only reason why I've got that and I think some people have corrected me at times where I think like I know I'm just in this role because I'm a female and they're like no, I, if there wasn't this role for you, I'd have you coaching the boys. Or yeah. So those statements can mean a lot to me sometimes. But I think what I've come to terms with is like, if I have a job because of tokenism, it is what it is. And like, I've still got this job. And yeah. now I've got it. Yeah. I'm going to show you why mm. I should have had it, had it, whether it was a tick box or not. Like, so if someone says like, you're only in, you only got that job because you're a female, it's like, cool like if that's what you think that's fine but I know I'm good at what I do Mm. and I'll prove to you why even if there wasn't this like criteria I would have been here all along so I'm like I'm pretty comfortable with that idea and far out if it gets me opportunities I don't (laughs) don't mind like I just need to take it for what it does at times Um, and then also something I've been trying to just work through personally is the idea of 
when you are a female coach, I feel currently any female coach, when they do things, it affects the reputation of female coaches. Yep. Whereas if someone goes out and coaches a game in the weekend as a male and they are a like they're a terrible person or they get in an argument with the ref, that reflects on that person. Yeah. So that's their reputation tarnished or reputation being really good. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if I go out and I my team doesn't play well mm. or I go out and I get sent off or I cry at a game because I yeah. get emotional, that's the reputation of females now. They're yeah. like, oh, female coaches, yeah, not, yeah. oh, Katie Barrett. Like, <laughs> whereas I don't think that happens in the men's game. I only think it happens to males that are in the female game. So yeah. maybe if a male coach did something in the female game, they'd be like, oh, men shouldn't yeah. be in the female game. And I don't think that's right either. I think good people need to be in both Yeah, well, if you're qualified game. for the role, you should, yes. you should take it. But so it's like it's a female sport umbrella that I think mm. it comes – and it's not just football, it's all sports. Sport, I see it yeah. everywhere. But I've been trying to be like – that's quite a lot of pressure at times. Yeah. I think I feel sometimes, oh, if I screw this up, I'm screwing up the pathway for every other female. And equally, when females above me maybe do dicey things or do really good things, I'm, like, hyper-emotional about them. So, like, if things don't go well with a female coach, I'm like, someone's going to think the same thing about me now. Or if they do something really good, it's like, maybe now I'll get a chance. Yeah. So now that I'm getting in a really privileged role, I have to take some responsibility of, like, I'm here to set up the path for new people and also show people with money, people with that make the big decisions that... Yeah, take like take a chance on a female yeah. coach because they're going to be they're going to do really good. Yeah, well, I mean, like mentally, that must be quite tough to mm. as you know to take on that responsibility. And as you say, you've accepted that, and it's something you know you carry on your shoulders. But like, that's a lot mm. to kind of work through and be able to get through every single day. And as you say, yeah. like if you do lose a game, that's like almost an instant thought that you have. It's like shit yeah like this is such an L for the rest of the women (laughs) yeah how do you like how how have you come be able to come to terms with that and also like continue to work through it yeah like I think yeah that's well I am lucky that I'm in a development space I'm not in a results business right now like yeah if the 15s lose I I don't care like (laughs) and I don't think anyone else cares or anyone will remember by the time they're A-league players yeah like no one knows how many games Messi won when he was a yeah. youth player, you know. Yeah. So I don't mind too much about the the results necessarily. Um, but I know there's been other moments where I'm like, oh, like they think this is because I'm a female, not because of me. Um, but I think the other thing is like using the men in the room that are good people. Mm. It's been really important for me. And I've been lucky to have some like really great men in my life in terms of helping me develop or correcting people about, now nah, Katie's, like Katie's a business, she's quite yeah, good at what yeah, she yeah. does and like getting them into women's football more and understanding that. So like, not that they protect me because that sounds so patronising, but it's like that with people that weren't going to listen to me anyways, they yeah. can have my back. So, yeah. So yeah, you talk about, you know, using the men and like it's so important to have those male allies still in this like transition phase where women are oftentimes still trying to just get their foot in the door. Mm. Are there any other like kind of like mental strategies you use personally after after a loss or mm. you know after someone else's loss that just kind of helps you like ground yourself and like not kind of spiral down that mm. oh my god it's all going to kind of turn to shit for me now. Yeah. I think a big thing for me is just staying back focused on your values and your why like mm. I Although I now have the responsibility um, as a female coach and inspiring other female coaches or inspiring people to be involved in the women's game, ultimately that's not why I started coaching. Like mm. <laughs> I am getting more into it and more purposeful now, but the why is the players. And I think no matter what, they are first and yeah. that's who I do it for. So I think in football and in work and like our generation we want to chase on to the next thing and the next thing and work our way up but at the same time like it's really important to just stay present and I am so lucky like I work with the coolest humans ever and that's why I do it 
Yeah. And if, that's why when I have a really bad day, I could be, you know, crying before a training session, but then I go get to go hang out with some 13 <laughs> to 15-year-olds and they give me so much joy and yeah. we put our stuff to the side and that's why I do it. And I've had some hard conversations like recently with some players of things they're going through. Yeah. Um, and I now see like my trials that life has given me and how mm. that helps me help them. And that to me will always be more important than changing the game. Like, yeah. I, of course I want to change the game and of course that's yeah. an amazing thing to aspire to but at the same time I want to impact lives before I yeah. do that. So I think when I shift my focus back on that, nothing else matters in those yeah. moments. Well, I guess changing the game is almost like that big picture, mm. long-term goal but then ultimately like setting those small little day-to-day -day goals. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, as you say, like, one conversation with your player can just mean so much to them mm. and have such an impact on their lives. And you might not, not know it and might not ever realise it, but, I mean, I feel like we both know as both players and, I mean, I've dabbled in coaching, but nowhere near mm. to your extent. But, like, those conversations can sometimes, like, mean so much to you. Yeah. And, look, I was, oh, gosh, I don't even know now. I think I was... 22, 23, I need to do the maths, but um, when my mum passed away and I was in the middle of a capital football season, I was the captain of the team and it, like obviously that's a lot for anyone, but Nat Lawrence was my coach at the time and mm. for whatever reason why I am grateful for her is the way she supported me through that and gosh, we played some good football along the way and we had some fun, but like that changed, that impacted my life massively and changed my life arguably mm. um, and then I kind of have these full circle moments where uh, like I have a young girl in the academy who's lost her mum mm. and you know we sit and we talk about what that feels like and in those moments it's like what's the point of chasing the next you know the yeah. next career or the next step in my job when I've now hopefully helped this girl through one of her hardest times in my life and yeah. seeing Nat's impact on me I do know that I can do that for someone yeah. and I'll do it in my own different way and but I think there's been a few full circle moments <laughs> like that or like a you know a 16 year old girl's boyfriend has moved to the UK and I'm like oh, I know how horrible that is but I promise you you'll be yeah. okay and you'll forget about it and they were probably a bit of a dickhead anyway so yeah. don't worry and like all of those things where I think I like that's that's why I do it and that's yeah. my why and you can't get caught up in the perception or the noise on the mm. outside because these girls know and I know yeah. what we have here. And look, if she doesn't become a pro footballer, I don't mind. But if she handles grief better or if mm. she um, feels like I had her back when no one else did, whatever it may be, mm. that's so much more important. If you think of like um, pay it forwards, one of my favourite moments, mm. like my football journey shaped me to be the coach and the leader in the game that I am. Yep. So like the coaches I've had, the coaches I've learnt off, the yep. teammates I've had have shaped me. And at all of those points in time, mostly, mm. they were there to help me become a pro footballer. I didn't and I yep. wasn't that good. But they've still shaped me and I like to think I'm making a positive impact on the game. So if I can help the 45 to 50 girls that are here mm. every year, whether that's GoPro but positively impact the game. That's like now 45 girls yeah. going into the game yeah. and doing that, you know, like, and then they go and help some player somewhere, yeah. whether that's through social media and women's football, whether it's through just going to the women's pro basketball league once yeah. a week, you know, they're going to invest into women's sport. And over time there's like, we're talking about thousands of people to have this podcast with, you know, they're going to be, you're going to be having <laughs> interviews every day. There's going to be so many. Yeah. And I'm a credit to, those coaches and those administrators before me and now I hopefully I can be a piece in yeah. that puzzle for the next generation and yeah. help them do it and it's just well yeah. yeah I mean talking about the piece of the puzzle you started writing a blog mm. a year or two ago over lockdown I can't yeah, when was lockdown, lockdown. Like, what? I, tell me right <laughs> I, that's why I was here before like was I 22 was yeah. I, I don't even know it's yeah um yeah. do you want to just tell us a bit about that because I know you touched yeah. on some like pretty heavy stuff mm. in that blog but as you as you said like in our chat beforehand like 
it's important that we do talk mm. about that heavy stuff and yeah. it doesn't go unnoticed. And I think, I mean, you sent me some of your blog posts mm. and honestly, like, I teared up reading <laughs> them. And, like, they're just, anyone who read, reads them or read mm. them, like, they would have impacted them so yeah. much. So, yeah, do you want to just talk us through kind of yeah, why sure. you started it and then also kind of what you've learned yourself and, like, the mental skills mm. you've been able to get from that kind of process of yeah. actually, like, working through stuff? Yeah. I think it kind of all starts back to like my childhood. I grew up in a, like I grew up in an abusive household, and it was me and my brother, and that was already like um, I'm not going to say trauma. I was so young that I honestly like it doesn't impact me that mm. much. But therapy was like a big part of my life, but it was always forced, and I was like, no, nah, I'm all good. I don't want to talk about <laughs> things. And then I continued going through life that way and yeah. it's always all good and like I'm fine yeah, shove and it then down. when mum passed away um, I again like was so invested in my football um, just from a teammate perspective and mm. my job always through being a teammate to me was to make people feel good yeah. so like that was my job so when I had shit going on I couldn't bring that because my job is to make people feel good I don't want to make people feel bad yeah. and that, that that still affects me a lot like I have some bad days, but I feel like I can't bring them mm. forward to people because, like, well, if Kay's having a bad day, who's going to cheer us up? And, like, it's it's messed up and I'm working <laughs> on it. Um, but during lockdown, there's so much more time to think, and I think that's where, like, grief hit me the hardest. Mm. Um, I was not sure what I wanted to do with my career. I went through a breakup. Like, all of these things were, like, just I had to put the weight down, and for me that was through writing, and I never wrote to use it in my coaching or anything yeah. like that, like that never came to my mind. But I always found analogies super cool. And so I wrote some stories about that and had the intention to keep doing it, but time kind of just got away. But like the other day I've sent that blog mm. to a kid and that I, th I think it's helped them. So I think that's kind of where that initially came from, becoming way more open to professional help. Like mm. I saw a therapist the other day to make sure I do my job better. I don't have a crisis. Yeah. But I am okay with admitting I'm a bit wobbly at the moment and I need some support to yeah. have the mental tools that if this does snowball into a crisis, mm. I'm going to be okay. Like, and I can talk it through to people and yeah. it's all good. So I think me getting comfortable with the idea of professional help in that time was really important. Mm. Writing helped. But now, thank goodness, because I'm so lucky that we have two sports psychologists here that work at the academy. And... I'm like the biggest promoter of like, just go talk it out. Like go yeah. to someone else who's like, you go to the physio to strap your ankle up. You don't know how to strap your ankle. Go yeah. like, go, yeah. go get well, some mental tools. So I think, yeah, thank gosh, I'm more comfortable with that now. Yeah, And like, as you say, like, even when you're just a bit wobbly, like it doesn't have to be a crisis to mm. go. And I feel like that's a big missed part of therapy as well. Like people sometimes feel like, you know, it has to be when everything's completely just been blitzed yeah. to shit. Um, but it can just be when you're a bit wobbly. Yeah. And, you know, like, and again, that's preventative. It's not kind of emergency. Um, but, yeah, it's just amazing to hear you kind of say that and talk mm. about your story because I think it's so important that more people get comfortable with that idea. Um, but do you want to talk about that analogy, the analogy that you used in the blog post about grief mm. is like a really tough football game because that was beautiful. Mm. And, I mean... I, we, we obviously play football, so we know that yeah. feeling, but, like, it just resonated with me yeah. so much. And, yeah, do you want to talk about that? Because yeah. I think more people need to hear it. I honestly, it was so long ago when I <laughs> wrote it, it. Like, I don't know where on earth that yeah. came from in my head. And yeah. that is me to a T. Every player that <laughs> you'll talk to that's, like, I've been lucky enough to coach will be like, Katie says some weird bloody <laughs> stories and she just talks shit sometimes. And I do because I feel like I understand things better through analogies. So, yeah. like, I just talk in stories it a lot. And, but, like, we're born to be storytellers as Kiwis. Like, it's yeah. in our DNA. Like, yeah. our ancestors told stories. Everyone told stories. So I just do, do it a lot. But I felt like when my mum passed away in that moment, everything was going around and I was just, like, frozen mm. trying to keep up or trying to work out how I felt and then the other spin-on effect was like people helped me out but then they were okay mm. now because like they think like oh you 
Yeah. yeah. And then passed away two months ago. Like you're slowly get better and better and better. Yeah. And I struggled with. I felt like I was getting worse and worse and worse because mm. of this whole. I can't go get help, and um, I'll just cheer people up, and that will make me feel better. Like yada yada yada. So I just started talking about how, like, to me, grief, and I think now I look at it as like mental health, really. Yeah. Broadly, is like a game of football when you go into this game against. Like I look at it like when the girls play the 17 boys for the first time and the ball and the other team is just like all around you and you're just like what's going on and you can't keep up. And I talked about like how your teammates' reactions in this time you can judge sometimes. So some teammates will come help you get off the ball um, and take some pressure off you because they see that you're under pressure. Whereas some players or some teammates are like, no, nah, this is all good. I play in tough game. Like, yeah. But it's you can't judge people in their act, in their actions in tough games because some people just either don't see it as a tough game or have never been in one before and they just yeah. don't know how to deal with it. And I think I get that more and more now of like they just don't understand and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But they're still my teammates and they still are part of this game. They just play a different role. And then the opponents, I guess, is like your work pressures, all of that um, responsibility. You feel like they're all up against you. And it's like, just settle down, man. Like, stop passing the ball so fast. I just need, like, someone go down with cramp. I need to go get a drink. Um, And that was a real interesting thing. I know that, like, I was playing when all of this was happening. And I played, because of my emotions coming into the game, I played like a real jerk. And people could judge that for face value. Mm. Um, but it's also like they probably hadn't been in a tough game and they just don't get it. Yeah, They don't get why people act like that. And that's okay. And I've come to terms with that. But I think the biggest one for me was like then talking about you going to your coach in these mm. tough games. And for me, that's professional help. And I was always, I thought if everyone told me how strong I was because of mm. what I've been through in life and I identified myself with that statement a lot and it's a dangerous place to get in because you think by me not crying for that week I'm strong so I need to keep doing that but what was strong was I'm going through it like (laughs) and however that looks I'm still strong because I'm still going through it whether I cry or I don't cry so for me if I went to professional help or you go to your coach in a tough game Mm. people think oh she's not keeping up she's not keeping up with the game and I, I struggled with that idea but then over time I realised no one judges you for going to the coach. They're just happy you can keep up with the game because yeah. they need you. Um, and that was a big one. And then I think the real weird moment for me was I wrote a paragraph on in your own time you realise you're keeping up pretty well with the game. Yeah. And every now and then the ball takes a funny spin or you take a bad touch. But it doesn't mean like you're less of a player. It yeah. just means like you're going to see other tough games and it's okay, but you are comfortable writing that yeah. that bubble out. And I reread that blog for the first time two months ago. It was my brother's one-year anniversary from when he passed away. Mm. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this all makes sense. And yeah. it all, it's true. Like, the ball has taken a weird touch and I am a bit uncomfortable, but I can write it out because I know I can go to my coach and my teammates are going to be happy. And I know that, so it's just wild world analogies. <laughs> and I was just like, wow. And then so, again, a girl who's lost her mum quite a while ago has all of a sudden had the breakdown of all breakdowns. She misses her mum. And it's like, oh, yeah. I feel that for her. But I'm also like, just like read this and it won't solve all your problems. And you'll probably pick it apart and be like, no, it feels like this. And that's completely fine. Yeah. Each person's mental struggles are their own. But at the same time, like grief is love with no place to go and I've read that a lot like I don't know where to put my love because I put it into my mum or my brother so now I've got all this love that I can give someone else and that for me is showing love to them so I knew like if I went to a young girl and was showing her love and looking after her that's also me showing my mum love and it's this full circle so I think like that's been that's my why like I didn't know that going into the coaching but I know that now, and that to me will always mean more than any accolades. Yeah. And yeah, I think I just like telling stories, and however that works for people, <laughs> it works, but it worked for me. And 
yeah. No, I, and like, thank you so much for talking mm. through that because hearing you say it is just a whole nother, whole nother ball game because <laughs> oh, I'm tearing up a bit again because <laughs> it just depicts it so accurately mm. and you touch on so many feelings. Um, and yeah, I just thank you from yeah. like everyone who's read that blog post or will hear you talk about it. Like, thank you for sharing your story because mm. it is so important and I know you will have an impact on so many people's lives with that mm. story because um, it's just yeah like it's thank yeah. you no I mean it's, it's just love and it's like we just got to feel the feels everyone <laughs> and like because that's then like if we're all feeling the feels then it's more comfortable for the next person to share and the next person to share so like talking about the tough stuff matters and yeah. it's like there's mana in that like and 100%. we can we can do that so much more and yeah. I hope that like us having you know psychologists working with players and players sitting and talking more before trainings, like they get here half an hour early and they've got to go talk to a new teammate that they don't normally talk mm. to about what they got up to at school today or what was the most stressful thing in the day. And slowly we'll just get more comfortable with that so that when your teammate's going through the tough game, like mm. I know how to get on the ball more. Like yeah, I yeah. know how to do those things yeah. and help them out because then when I'm under pressure later because they change, the game changes mm. and it goes on me, they're going to help me out and it's all going to work out eventually. Cause yeah. I think I said in there like, Football, like life, is a team sport, and it's 100%. so it's so yeah. the case. And I didn't know that when I wrote that, but I yeah. learn it more and more every day. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, in, in your analogy, you talk about going to your coach or going to mm. professional help. I guess now, like when you wrote that, you kind of viewed yourself as a player. Mm. But you know, to so many people now, you are that coach. Mm. <laughs> and I guess from like that perspective of being the coach for someone else, mm. like. What like what do you feel when you know you do see someone struggling and they do finally make that decision to come to you and be like, hey, like I'm not keeping up with the game, yeah. either literally in the literal sense yeah. or you know in the life <laughs> yeah. sense, because like I, there'll be players listening to this who have that struggle, mm. like and it'll be great to hear, you know, that the coach isn't thinking, oh, finally she's getting her shit together, she's coming to me, like thank God, yeah, no, because um, that's not what the no. case is. I think. It's again dependent on the individual. It's sometimes like I've sensed that already, but it's for their terms. And some players are the right players to go up to and say, hey, like, what's going on? You seem a little bit wobbly. But then there's some others that just need to work that out on their own. But it's also not being superficial. Like, yes, we have two psychologists, but like they've come to me in this moment and mm. I'm not going to shove professional help down their throat because like they, they might yeah. just need me, a big sister or a mum right now, you yeah. know, to give them a cuddle and tell them everything's going to be okay. Um, but I think just having more of those resources has been, yeah, really helpful. But I think there's 100% no judgment because I'm sitting here telling you right now I've been through it. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I get it. And I, I'm there to help you as a person and so is every coach. And mm. every coach is going to show it slightly different. But, like, they would never, ever do it just because they like football. No one, no one is that crazy they just go watch football games you yeah. know or they play FIFA they work with young people or they work with players because they want to work with people yeah and I see you as your person and that's who I am here to help I don't care if you're a centre midfielder I don't mm. care if you're a striker in this moment mm -hmm. we are two people going through life yeah <laughs> and I've been there and I've got your back and here are some other people that can support you as well. But that yeah. doesn't change that I have your back. And I'm like, anytime someone does that, I just think like, oh my gosh, you are so brave. You know, one girl's been talking about how brave she is, or people have been telling her how brave she is for leaving home to come play football here. Mm. She broke down and said, I'm, I'm not brave. I, I'm so sad. I'm struggling. Yeah. And it's like, no, mate, like, you've already done the brave thing. Yeah. Like, you're still brave. Yeah. You're just going through it right now. And like, that's bravery. You coming to me right now is bravery. Yeah. What's not brave is me when I'm 22 thinking, if I don't if I don't cry, people will still think I'm strong. You know, yeah. that's that's silly. And like yeah. once I got through that, that's when I truly felt brave. Yeah. But again, like it comes down to like if you don't see anyone else, or if you don't know how to work through that stuff, mm. you, you are gonna probably do it wrong because yeah. no one gets it right on the first try. Which is again why it's so amazing yeah. to have you as this coach and just sharing your story now yeah. because it just gives a little bit of a like oh okay 
yeah. she's doing pretty good now. <laughs> Maybe I should try that way. Yeah, and I think we've also started with our psychologists. They do uh, fortnightly workshops with the mm. whole group of players, so they all have to go to these. Right. And it's things on like their identity, so working mm. out that they're not just footballers. It's things on dealing with pressure. It's things like when these relationships and consent, whatever it is, mm. they're already starting those conversations so that when crisis comes, they've got some mental tools. Yep. But they also, they know who Alex and Taylor, our sports psychologists are, and it's like, this is another person to help you towards your football goals. Yep. And some of them might not help you with anything to do with football. You might just need to go have a cry because yep. something else happened in your life. But it all, it's all one. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're, they're <laughs> yeah. another teammate. In yeah, the they really are. In sense, yeah. yeah. So I That's think okay. if we can help some 15, 16 year olds start to work those things out now yeah. and like be like just stay values driven, to mm. keep sticking to those and the right, you'll attract the right people to your life. I think that's so good that yeah. you don't have to wait till you're 23 and your mum died to work <laughs> that out, you know. And, yeah, well you don't have to therapy. wait for that crisis moment. Yeah. It's the preventative yeah. stuff again. So yeah. I, think, I think it's cool and I'm just really excited to hopefully see the effects of it and like three or four years' time when these players move on to their next steps. And, yeah. 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 I mean, well, on that, on that note, I think we'll wrap it up mm. there because about, th- like, again, I know I've said it a few times now, but thank you so much <laughs> for coming on the podcast, no. sharing your story, sharing your views. Uh, like, again, I think this conversation is going to really resonate with a lot of people and also have, like, a big impact on a lot of people. So appreciate you coming on and sharing no, your story. I've absolutely loved it and I love... Everyone will tell you I love talking about myself. So anytime, <laughs> anytime yeah. you need me to talk about myself, I'm here for you. Um, <laughs> I might get you on for a pre-FIFA World Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, podcast good. then. Just make sure I'm not, you know, it's too busy being a commentator or whatever exactly, it is these days. Yes. Well, yeah. If anyone wants to catch Katie Barrett elsewhere commentating the yeah, A League women's women's game, three two wide up. That's what someone will tell you. Courtney Stone with the winner and oh well, yeah, yeah, yeah. brilliant. <laughs> Um, but yeah thank you so much for coming on it's been a real pleasure having this conversation with you and I mean personally you've actually had a massive impact on me in the short time that I've known you so I really hope that you know you have this impact on some other people through this podcast but um, yeah thank you so much for coming on thanks so much and I can't wait to just see what you continue to do as well we need more people like you involved so that's really cool I appreciate that Um, well thank you very much for listening everybody episode four um Tune in next week for episode five and also mystery guest number five. Thank you so much for listening.